Good evening, everybody. My name is Tom Holzman, or TH, if you will. Welcome to the Mental Health Break Podcast, episode number two, brought to you by the Mental Health Break newsletter. If you're not subscribed to that yet and you're listening to this, what are you waiting for? Sub up, get everything in your inbox, including this podcast. And today's guest, this week's guest, is a, a regular around Philly Twitter. Um, he's on his uh, 15th Twitter account, I think. Uh, <laughs> Something like that. And uh, he's, he, you know him uh, with all the hog chat and the voice tweets. Please welcome Big Jerry. How you doing? I am so great. And how are you today, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm in a hotel room in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. We've all been there. Work does not stop me from producing content because I am an Iron Man. You really are. You're the real deal. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you are one of the the, the funniest people on Twitter, um, underfollowed criminally, but people who know, know. But first off, I want to get your thoughts. What do you think about playing the Washington fucking commanders two times a year? You know, my my the one salient thought I have is why not the Washington Hogs? I mean, we missed a golden opportunity here. Did we not? I mean Oh oh yeah. I think it should have been the Red Hogs, to be honest. You, you need to add a little bit of flair uh, to that, but still. Yeah, I mean, any adjective would have been better, you know, than commanders. You know, you could say the the Red Hogs, the Mighty Hogs. I kind of like Mighty Hogs, don't you? That would have made them too likable, though. I guess so. You got to have an enemy, you know, a, a comedic foil. And you can say, you know, Dan Snyder owning them is sort of the all enemy enough. But I mean, look at the rest of the league, man. There aren't any good owners in the league. Come on. Not even Jeffrey Lurie. Except Mike Brown, apparently. Did you hear that everyone thinks Mike Brown is a wonderful owner in uh, Cincinnati? <laughs> yeah, that was total propaganda from Tony Romo. Um, I remember uh, it, it Drew McGarry over at um, Defector uh, uh-huh. back when I still read you know, him at Deadspin. No, I, I'm too cheap to, to, to pay for Defector right now. Um, I, only, I only pay for the Action Cookbook newsletter because... That is uh, wonderful. Everyone should, everyone should subscribe to that one. Um, that's the one you should pay for. Mine's the one that's good that you get for free. So there you go. One for free, one you pay for. Um, but you when uh, Drew McGarry was at Deadspin, uh, before Deadspin turned into, sta- into Scabspin, yeah, he would do, and I think he still does it at Defector, the, um, you know, why your team sucks every year. Yep. I remember um, this. The bang- one of the Bengals uh, – reader emails uh, related anecdote that he was uh, Mike Brown was at first watch um, trendy little uh, breakfast lunch place popping up all around the country like weeds. And uh, he was at first watch and he was really mad at his server for not getting him crackers for a soup. Which, like, <laughs> I think if, if you're angry about crackers in a soup, can you really be a good person? Yeah, that, that fits. I mean, he, you know, he, he, he's kind of like one of those guys when I go to Panera Bread, which I frequent regularly, um, he's like one of those guys who goes to Panera Bread and nitpicks about the salt content or the savory piquant aftertaste of the broccoli cheddar in a bread bowl. You know, at some point, you just have to appreciate where you're at, you know, and uh, 
if you really want to spend some extra cash on, let's say, some good players, Mr. NFL owner, then, you know, you have the means to do so. So, um, but I'm glad that the Bengals have finally turned their fortunes around. It is nice to see Joe Burrow uh, kind of elevate them in spite of some inefficiencies and around him. Well, let's talk about, you know, the conference championship games. You know, I watched the entire AFC championship game and it was a tale of two halves, right? You know, uh, Kansas City's offensive line, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, defensive line just murdered the Cincinnati offensive line. And uh, you're, you're one of those special people who, who loves watching line play. Oh, indeed I do. I love the big hogs on the O-line, baby. Oh, yeah. I, I, I dabble in that. Not not as much as uh, as I'd like to. But I, I feel like you're really getting the nuts and bolts of football when you when you pay attention to the line and you see the battles, you can see the big plays before they happen. And Chris Jones was just sort of eating up the interior of that offensive line all half and the Bengals couldn't do shit. Oh, absolutely. And then afterwards they, I don't know what happened, whether they, um, you know, whether Kansas city ran out of gas or whether they schemed a little bit better, but you know, or, or maybe it's just because Joey Burrow was just, you know, real quick in his reads out. I think it was a combination of Joey Burrow, uh, the hog master general himself, um, making quicker reads, um, which, you know, I think it was part partially that, but also I, I sensed a different whiff of um, je ne sais quoi from the Bengals play calling. I think some some kind of light bulb went off where – they started stringing together sequences of plays and drives uh, with with more consistency. Um, but for Joe Burrow to do what he's doing to you know compensate for their porous offensive line and some of the head scratching play calls that I see uh, when I tune into their broadcasts is really suggestive that they have some something great in this young man and. You know, he's he's taken them to the to the big dance, and let's see if he can do it. But man, if they can just give him an O line, and maybe you know, maybe I don't know, one more defensive playmaker, look out, man, he's the future. I mean, um, just going back to, and I know Tony Romo, your mileage might vary on him. I like him. I like him a lot better now than when he was in Dallas. That that's not that's a low bar to clear. Um, <laughs> But, I mean, he, he was getting on Zach Taylor for, you know, running the ball so much, especially after um, Kansas City went up. And you and I are both fans of the Eagles, obviously. And, you know, we both appreciate running the football because that's what the Eagles were good at. But you look at the Bengals, and you can't really run the ball against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it took Zach Taylor – you know, a half to sort of abandon the idea that he had to keep the uh, the offense balanced. And I think the big thing, aside from Burrow, you know, finding a groove, which he, he's good at, you know, he he's when he's down, he gets his veins start pumping ice cold, you know, glacier water. <laughs> and, you know, he's he's like, it's not like he's throwing to Pinkston and thrash, right? He's got, you know, his, his 
his tight end would be wide receiver two on the Eagles, you know, CJ Azuma. Yeah. They've got Tyler Boyd and and T Higgins. And of course, Jamar Chase. And it's just, I I feel like the big part of that was they finally sort of played to Joey Burrow's strengths. Um, I think the other part of that was Kansas city sort of turtling in the second half. Do you think it's, it was more Andy Reed being Andy Reed, you know, as you and I both know, all too well or was it you know did pat mahomes sort of you know turtle up i think it's all of the above you know and in, in life it's always a combination of a little bit of everything but since i'm a hot take artist um i will say you know i know andy reed's coaching style and his foibles quite well um and look, you know, he's, he's got no excuse. Uh, the, he really, um, he really messed up the second half. And I think this was all portended by that infamous decision he made to, you know, to go for the, um, the touchdown on the goal line, completing a pass behind the line of scrimmage, sort of out, outsmarting himself. Um, I think there, that yeah. was, that was a good play call. I think that was sort of where you could hit, you could pin it on Mahomes because I think he panicked. Like you could see it. it. I mean, he didn't throw that ball to Tyreek Hill with real crispness. And I think uh, Tyreek Hill, who you know shouldn't be in the league, but that's that's besides the point. Um, like he, he sort of had a mad dash to catch it. Then the, the Bengals sniffed it out right away after you know they uh, after they saw that they got to Mahomes. You know he, he was shook on that play. Yeah. I don't think he ever quite got back into a groove. And I do think the Bengals, uh, obviously they looked like a totally different defense in the second half, but it was their coverage. You know, they, they dropped back into coverage much more in the second half and they just played coverage and let their front three front four kind of do its thing. And, it really rattled Mahomes, you know? And so I don't discount that, you know, Mahomes could and should have played better, but at the end of the day, man, Andy Reed, you've got like five hall of famers on your roster. Come on, come on, bro. <laughs> there were, there were a certain plays where I thought Mahomes made a mistake, but I think, you know, you and I and everybody sort of are used to uh, watching, you know, Jalen hurts or, or, or Carson Wentz it last year just misplays over and over again. And you sort of take for granted that, you know, even the best quarterbacks like Mahomes, like uh, Joe Burrow, like, um, like Justin Herbert or Josh Allen make mistakes every once in a while. Um, I, I think it's, it's really intriguing that the way the Bengals beat them uh, this past weekend was totally different from the way the Bucks beat them in the Super Bowl last year. Like the Bucks just sort of overwhelmed the offensive line and just they wouldn't let Mahomes get a rhythm at all. And then uh, the Bengals, they just like you said, they they didn't really generate a whole lot of pressure. I mean, they got a couple of sacks late, but they they really, you know, forced Mahomes into some bad throws, some late throws, uh, some really bad decisions trying to force balls. And I just think it's, it's really crazy. This happens, you know, twice in big situations, um, not 
Jalen because Andy Reid is good in big situations. You and I both know that he's not, but like it feels like Mahomes is almost like idiot makes him idiot proof, and you know there's still growing pains there. Probably, I mean he's only in his what fourth year. Yeah, that's very fair. I think we're uh, I think we lose sight in this age of hot takery of the fact that this is a profession and there's growth and you know these guys are young and the learning curve is steep for them. Um, I will say, just on the note of quarterbacks, you know, and and the Eagles kind of having their ups and downs this year. The running game. Let me just say, the running game. I was thinking about this. It's like a great pair of sweatpants. It's great for the cold weather, great for the rain, until you have to put on the real big boy pants in the playoffs. And then it's kind of too late because, you know, your waistband kind of got a little longer. Um, But um, yeah, now I don't fit into my jeans, right? But um, yeah, I think that, I think that um, when it comes to quarterback play, it's, you know, week to week um, for, for these elite quarterbacks, you know, the Bengals don't have the personnel that the Bucks did a year ago. They didn't have that um, ability to put pressure on Mahomes, but they had just enough um, confidence in their back seven to kind of keep up with Hill and all these other guys. And I think part of that had to do with um, the refs <laughs> letting these defenders kind of play rough. Um, we saw that in the first half of that game. And that was yeah. a good halftime adjustment by the Bengals, I thought. You know, they they weren't calling anything. So the score was low. And I thought, I said during the game that I thought this kind of favored the Bengals in a way. Because you want to get in a shootout with Mahomes, good luck. But yeah, it's week to week. And I think that at some point your quarterback just has to make plays, you know. And, and Joe Burrow did that despite, you know, his his offensive line getting overwhelmed. I mean, this is – he isn't the first quarterback to sort of make the, the Super Bowl with no offensive line in front of him. But the difference between him and, and, and Ben Roethlisberger is Joe Burrow is a lot smaller. So he couldn't just, like, shake off a hit. But I think it's, it's more he makes a lot of really hot reads. And, you know, he's a smart quarterback, you know. Uh, the the future of the league is in the hands of a lot of smart, capable quarterbacks, you know, and and I don't I don't doubt Burrow will have a couple of bad games, just like Mahomes had a couple of bad games. Just um, I, you got to wonder if it's going to be uh, in two weeks in the Super Bowl, or you know if it's going to be a shootout, or whether you know Stafford's going to revert. And I think we can sort of take it into the NFC Championship game, which I didn't get to see a whole lot of. Um, I admit I, I have a family. And out of the four of us, I'm the only one who likes football. So after a whole year of, you know, having the TV on the Eagles or on Red Zone, um, my, um, my, my kids and my wife wanted to watch, you know, some TV. So I, I you know, I, I'm not an unreasonable man. <laughs> How dare you have a family? <laughs> but I was able to catch, um, I think, the last 10 minutes of the NFC championship game, but I'm not a stranger to this, the 49ers team. I saw the entire divisional game against the, uh, the Packers. Um, I saw them beat the Eagles week two. Um, few changes from then to now, but I mean, still it's a very, you know, well-coached defense, uh, disciplined defense and 
feels like, you know, the Niners just are a quarterback away, which is kind of like saying you have a car that's only an engine away from being able to be driven, which is pretty big. But, you know, that, that car got them all the way, like got them 475 laps out of a 500 lap race. So I don't know. Like, what do you think? I think it's all about framing, man. It's all about framing. If I say I ran a half marathon, that sounds so much better than I quit halfway through a marathon, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so on the one hand, I've, I've had a very unique – I'm not going to say very unique. Just I've had an in, in, up-close look um, on the 49ers this year because I now live in San Francisco. This is a team that is very talented – and most importantly, perhaps, they just play like their hair is on fire. They play violent. They play smart. They play tough. And, you know, I, I'm maybe in the minority in that I, I do like Jimmy Garoppolo. But, um, again, I, I have to agree with you that if you're going to fix one team, with one thing with this team, you want a quarterback who doesn't make – as many mistakes as Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, there's just too many times um, you I've watched him this year where he'll throw a real pretty pass, make a very nice quick decision, and then he'll just cough the ball up to the other team. Now, what I'll say about that is this is a game of inches. And I think, you know, as much as I just said, Jimmy Garoppolo was the difference in this game. He, he definitely was. I think there's a reasonable argument 49ers might have won this game if Chikwaski Tart caught that interception, you know? So sometimes it's, um, you know, it's a game of inches. But yes, if I had to pick one thing, I would say Jimmy Garoppolo would be that thing to fix. Well, the late great John Madden used to remark anytime a defensive back, a linebacker, whoever, would drop a pick. He'd say, well, that's why they're not a wide receiver. And, you know, you sort of have to temper your, your frustration at seeing, you know, obvious interception drops like that, but at the same time, it doesn't make it any better. You know, you're a Patriots fan. Uh, and uh, first of all, if I'm a Patriots fan, I got to wash myself every five minutes. You know, I feel so dirty. You look at Asante Samuel, right. In the Super Bowl uh, with the helmet catch, like he drops a, um, a pretty, you know, easy Eli Manning duck. And then like, I don't know if it was the next play or two plays later, it was the helmet catch, right? So it's like, on one hand, yeah, these guys are defensive backs. On the other hand, it's like, I mean, everybody learns how to catch a ball, especially when it's a badly thrown ball, you know, not a lot of velocity, you know, it's a wobbler, whatever. Oh, no, I mean, Stafford throws that from time to time, you know, a great quarterback, um, but sometimes, you know, you can't, you take a little bit of Detroit with you when you leave there. Yeah, totally agreed. And this, this game comes down to a few plays every game. Right. And, and it's, you know, and again, I come back to framing, you can say, you know, Garoppolo really blew that game, um, which I, I feel strongly in a lot of ways that he did. He was the reason they lost. However, they were in a position to win and there were plays to be made that weren't made. So um, that's the beauty of this game. And um, as far as the 49ers, I was very um, I was very proud of them. And I thought um, they were a fun team to kind of 
follow. I'm not going to say root for, um, but they were a fun team to follow this year. And um, I just hope, I just hope Burrow can, uh, you know, knock off these pesky Rams, man. I don't like them at all. Yeah. They're, they're a juggernaut team. Uh, although you can't really call yourself a juggernaut if you're only the fourth seed in your conference, but they still, they bought a, a title team. And I'm, and if you read my newsletter from Tuesday, you know, I'm, I'm not against that. I think there are plenty of other reasons to dislike the Rams. You know, uh, you know, if you're an Eagles fan who just saw in every game where, you know, they were matched up against Doug Peterson, Sean McVay versus Doug Peterson, except for the two, the, except for 2020 when, you know, Carson Wentz forgot how to play football, <laughs> you know, Doug Peterson outmatched him no matter what quarterback was there, no matter how heavily the Rams were favored. You know, Doug owned them, and McVeigh always got the rep, and that sort of stuck in a lot of people's crawls. Mine too. You know, I I love Doug Peterson like he's my father. Um, Same here, bro. Um, and you know they play in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, it wasn't like St. Louis didn't support them, but they went to Los Angeles, and the only reason why people don't make fun of them for not having fans is the Chargers have even less fans. <laughs> but I think looking at the way the Rams play, it's just sort of like it's still good football, still aesthetically pleasing football, right? You have Stafford who throws some beautiful deep balls. Uh, Cooper Cup runs excellent routes. OBJ still OBJ. You know, they've got uh, the best pass rusher since Reggie White. Uh, they've got, you know, Von Miller. They got Jalen Ramsey. It's It's good football. Yeah, and, and going back to your point about um, buying a championship, right? The Rams really kind of zigged while other people zagged. They, you know, they bought their their franchise quarterback. They bought, you know, Jalen Ramsey for, you know, what was it, two first-round picks? Yeah. They bought Von Miller. They bought Odell Beckham, who's – whose impact on this team, I think, has been extremely underrated. Um, but the point there is, you know, they didn't want to bother with um, drafting a QB in the first round or drafting a QB at all. They wanted to, you know, uh, check that box with a proven veteran. And there's an argument for that. And, well, their their track record has uh, has proven their their hypothesis so yeah they they were they've been there done that with jared goff too and they you know they whiffed on that pick although if you look at the advanced stats you know i mean matt stafford this year was performed similar to jared goff in the in the other super bowl year but somehow jared goff regressed yeah the advanced stats you know um i i should say a, a little word about advanced stats you know, it takes it takes intelligence to know that tomato is a fruit, but it takes wisdom to not put a tomato in a fruit salad. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's analytics for me. You know, I haven't analyzed those statistics that you're referring to, but yeah. I would guess that Matt Stafford, okay, maybe his mean performance has uh, resulted near at or near uh, Goffs for the year, but there's probably more variance. I mean, Stafford. Um, I think creates more and and has a uh, more of a, a toolsy arm. You know, he can really sling it. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I think that's what I would say about that. But yeah, well, I think um, uh, when you say you know 
fruit versus fruit salad. You know, I mean, it's it's recognizing tomatoes of fruit is saying interceptions are bad, but you know, putting it in the fruit salad is you know, pinging a lot of throw these throws that people like our favorite uh, analyst Scott Caxmar, you know, will say that was a turnover worthy play. Well, you you say it like that, but you know, football is all about taking a calculated risk. Sometimes, you know, you want to jumpstart the offense or you want to make a bold splash. Sometimes you're going to have to throw the ball, you know, to a guy in single coverage, you know, trust your receiver to beat the defensive back. And in a league that sort of favors you know, the receiver over the defensive back, that's a match we take every time. As long as you're not throwing the Jalen Rager. Oh, yes. Preach. Just preach. I mean, knowing the data is great and having the data uh, available uh, kind of helps you understand the game at a deeper level. But at the end of the day, don't overthink and don't, um, you know, defy rational reasoning, you know? Um, Don't mistrust your eyes either. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is an eye test component to this. And I guess you and I are sounding more and more like boomers every day, but you know, you don't reinvent the wheel, right? Don't reinvent yeah. the wheel. Well, I think the difference is, you know, I know I'm open to new ideas. And it's just a matter of understanding that advanced analytics and, you know, the old eye test, they're not in conflict with each other. They're sort of complementary pieces. And yeah. I think, you know, advanced analytics got us Doug Peterson going for it on fourth down. You know, yeah, and also throwing the ball fifty times a game. You know, I mean, it's 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 good to be open minded, and it's good to be up to date on you know twenty first century um, statistics and and you know the twenty first century NFL. So I would not want you know Don Shula to be uh, coaching my team in this day and age. But some balance between, you know, Poindexter, calculator nerd, and, you know, troglodytic, um, you know, caveman um, would be nice. Yeah. It's all about balance. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we got the, the games out of the way, right? Uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday from, from our date of recording. Uh, the Los Angeles Rams, Cincinnati Bengals, and the Super Bowl. Let's let's break that game down a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, uh, well, the Rams have the names. They have Aaron Donald. They have Leonard Floyd. They have Von Miller. Um, are they that much better than, you know, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, uh, whoever Kansas City has up front that, you know, Joe Burrow can't overcome them when he overcame, you know, the Kansas City defense? Hmm. Yeah, I think I think you have to look at the Rams front and just um, you know treat it with healthy respect, right? I mean, I don't know if they're the best front that the Bengals have faced all year. Um, I haven't, you know, just full disclosure, I haven't watched the Bengals uh, more than three or four games all year. Um, yeah, they played but, the Packers, but Darius Smith was out. So, oh yeah, okay. So that yeah, I mean this is most likely the stiffest challenge they'll face. Um, and certainly it's coming at a time when the offensive line has really struggled. 
So I think I think um, I saw some interesting. I, I will give it that. I, I saw an interesting PFF article that actually the Rams being this good uh, on the D line versus the uh, weak Cincinnati O line is actually going to work in the Bengals' favor. Um, I sort of I don't agree, um, and I sort of rolled my eyes when I first saw it, but. There is an interesting um, argument on that uh, uh, in that article that, you know, they take Ashawn Robinson out um, when they put, um, you know, all four defensive linemen in the game. But I think um, at the end of the day, you know, again, don't overthink it. This is this is going to be a real challenge for the Bengals. Um, I don't even think they have much in the way of like max protect built into their offense because of, you know, they don't want to take their um, excellent, you know, skilled players off the field. So it's just going to be Burrow against the world. And that was, that's going to define the game. I've got to wonder, you know, you talk about Max Protect and maybe they don't put in more than five offensive line. Maybe it's a matter of getting that, the, um, the screen game going, you know, you have, uh, Nixon, but you also have Samaji Perrin, mm-hmm. and he's an excellent sort of, you know, Larry Centers, Brian Westbrook type um, receiving threat out of the backfield. So you have him chip and release. Maybe he helps release some of that pressure. I think that's sort of like the direction where the Bengals can get something going before they, they can throw the Rams off balance. But I, I tend to agree with you that this matchup's not looking good for, for the Bengals. And they're going to have to, um, you know, either improve really quick in two weeks, uh, maybe do a training montage. What do you think? Training montage? (laughs) Training montage. Those always seem to work for Rocky. Um, Yeah, I mean, um, to your point about Perrin, um, you know, he's he's been on a roll um, as recently as the conference championship game. He made a very, very important, um, you know, game-changing kind of play, you know, and that was a screen, if I recall. So, um, you know, I think I think that the screen game can and will be a factor. Um, that's how you defeat any aggressive pass rush. Um, it was Jim Schwartz's only weakness, as I, as I yeah. used to facetiously say. He had more than one weakness. Um, that was the joke. But... You know, I think I think that um, again, you know, there are ways to there are ways to kind of soften the blow if you're if you're the Bengals um, and you're losing the battle in the trenches. But it's it's a mountain to climb, and really, Joe Burrow is the only way that they can save them uh, from themselves uh, and their weak offensive line. That's how we got them this far. Um, and that's yeah. what he's going to have to do to win this game. He's, he's just going to have to get rid of the ball. We're probably going to see uh, T. Higgins or, or Tyler Boyd have a, a, a big game too because they, they won't be matched up on Ramsey, and, and Ramsey's sort of like that island. Yeah. Yeah, I have to imagine um, the Rams are going to move mountains to, <laughs> to prevent Jamar Chase from beating them. If they if, – if, the Bengals are going to have success. The Rams are not going to let Jamar chase, or at least they don't, they won't intend for him to, uh, to beat them. Um, but 
you never know. He's Jamar Chase is just a pure alpha. He made he may have a great game, you know, in spite of all that, and just show his alpha hog colors, you know, on on national TV. Are we talking watermelon sized testes right here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can only imagine. And um, hey, this wouldn't be the first wardrobe malfunction. No, in it wouldn't. History, so, you know. <laughs> Um, but I, I, that's just really looking at one matchup, right? Cause the Rams are going to have the ball too. And I think, you know, we talked about Stafford, you know, having that toolsy arm and, you know, having that gunslinger mentality at times, but, you know, we've seen Stafford at his best, you know, destroying uh, the Cardinals, you know, he, that first half against the, uh, the Buccaneers, but there was also that Titans game where he threw a very Carson West, uh, Wentz-esque interception. And, you know, he's had his real dirt moments this year, too. I mean, do you think the Bengals have – I know we talked about the Bengals need to have another playmaker on defense, you know, another cornerback, another defensive edge rusher, something, a a Mike linebacker, somebody to make a play. But do they have enough playmakers now to sort of force Stafford into a dirt? Um, the answer in short to me is yes. Um, I do like their edge players uh, a decent amount. I like Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. Shout out ta- Tankman Hub, uh, Evan Hubbard on Twitter. Everybody's my, good friend. My good friend. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's the man. Um, but yeah, so those two edge players, you know, they seem to complement each other well. And um, I think pressure does tend to give Stafford fits when when given in moderate to high doses. Um, I also think that their, their secondary is, it's not perfect, but it can be opportunistic. Like, I think Chidobe Ouzie, I've liked him since college. He's, he's had a great year. Um, and I think he and these safeties... Um, can really make a play on the ball when it matters. Like, yeah. you know, they, they have Von Bell, they right? They have Von Bell as well. Yes, they do. Um, Eli Apple is probably the <laughs> bad apple in the secondary. Oh, oh, oh. oh, man, we know something about really bad apples in the secondary. But um, he's not bad either. <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's, not, he's not the worst cornerback I've ever seen. You know, I've seen worse in Eagles uniforms over the years. Um I think I just think the secondary can um, come up with an opportunistic turnover when it matters. Um, yeah, I, I I do think that the size of Van Jefferson will give uh, will give their secondary a little bit of trouble, and I think Odell Beckham is just on a on a tear right now. But um, but I think the secondary plays enough mind games with Stafford to your to your question, um, where eventually I think I think they they can uh, rattle him a little bit. But we'll see. And I think you, you were talking about you mentioned wide receivers didn't mention Cooper Cup, which sort of doesn't discredit Cup. You know, with a trendish year, uh, tremendous root runner. You know, historic year. But the Rams have sort of had an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. Um, before he got hurt, it was Robert Woods, mm-hmm. but you know they replaced him with Beckham and Van Jefferson, a guy uh, I was kind of hoping. You know, the Eagles whiffed on two Jeffersons um, that draft, and I, I'll <laughs> never forgive Howie Roseman for for either one. 
Yeah, the forgotten Jefferson, you're right. That, that whole draft just sort of really grinds my gears because it wasn't just like they had a choice between you know, Rager and, and and Justin Jefferson. They, they could have had literally anybody. How about T. Higgins? He's in the Super Bowl, huh? Yeah, T. Uh, I, go, I can go through the list, but like T. Higgins was up there um, even going down to the deep rounds, like Devin Duvernay. Look at him, man. He's he's playing really well uh-huh. in Baltimore for you know being a being a wide receiver in an offense where you know being wide receiver two doesn't get you the same targets as it would in say Los Angeles, but he's made some plays. Yeah, Duvernay was one of my pet um, prospects in that draft. Actually, he's a perfect fit for the Rager role. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. Um, I will say this. Yeah, I did forget Cooper no. Cup. Not that I forgot him. I just – there's too many playmakers to uh, to itemize in, in this Rams offense. But um, look, whoever said nothing's impossible is a liar. I've done nothing my whole life, right? <laughs> uh, dad joke. I need, I'm, to, get, I'm I need to get a sorry. soundboard on here. Um, but so nothing's impossible. <laughs> Nothing's impossible, but um, I do think this. I just tend to think the Cincinnati secondary is going to rise to the occasion, like they did against Kansas City. If there was any um, test of their um, of their fortitude, it would be playing coverage against Tyreek Hill at all in the second half, and they seem to hold I think up. They okay. might have intimidated so, him a little bit. Hey, we'll see. You know. That he 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 stepped up like he tried to step to them and found out he wasn't stepping to his pregnant girlfriend. Oh my goodness! Now we're spicy. Yeah. Now now we're cooking. Yeah, I do not now like Tyreek Hill. I don't like Frank Clark. I don't like Ben Roethlisberger. I don't like Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. All for the same reason. Oh, you don't like <laughs> very bad human beings? How how could you? No, I think that's the one good thing about Tom Brady retiring now. Well, the one the other good there are three good things about Tom Brady retiring. The first one is Tom Brady is not playing in the NFL anymore. The second thing is the way he uh, announced it made Bill Simmons and Dave Portnoy extremely mad. And the third the great thing about him retiring this year is he totally eclipsed Ben Roethlisberger. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, Ben Roethlisberger went out sad, which he is wont to do anyway. He's one of the mopiest QBs I've ever seen. Um, I'm like, dude, you're – you're playing with house money. You should be in jail, but you know, so there's be happy with that. You're playing in the NFL, but um, yeah, it was, it was, it was justice. And, and apropos that Brady overshadowed it, uh, big Ben's retirement. I will say, what do you, what do you think about this idea? Folsey? And I call you Folsey because we go way, way back. Way, way back. Back when back we were Jerry as an RO. <laughs> <laughs> the defense, Eagles defensive line coach. Yeah, Jerry the Asman. <laughs> Who just got um, fired by Chip Kelly at UCLA because he was a terrible defensive coordinator. But you know what? By the way, he's a defensive line coach. Don't put a square peg in a round <laughs> hole. I digress. Um, anyway, so what do you think about this, Tholzy? Back when, you know, you, you knew me since my first of 23,000 Twitter accounts. And yes. I trust you on this. What do you think about the idea of Tom Brady waiting to beat the Eagles in his last win 
before he retires. Do you think do you think that was going on in his mind? I think that's a definite pettiness that you can't put by him because he seems like a very petty individual, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, and and he pulls it off in a very um aw shucks kind of positive sort of way. He he's I have to admit I don't hate him as much as I used to. Um but pettiness is part of his brand and I just happen to think that a guy who goes from saying, I want to play until I'm 50, to abruptly saying, oh, I'm done, guys, retiring. I just have to think that the Eagles factored into this somehow. And I'm, maybe this is my narcissistic personality <laughs> shining through here that I'm the Eagles are the center of the universe. But well, they I just are. Think, well, do you yeah. know how many Eagles fans are on Twitter? <laughs> Eagles Twitter is the center of Twitter. I'll give you that. But I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you go through it, his biggest failures were Eli Manning. But I think he owned Peyton enough that he's willing to give the sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the ne'er-do-well younger Manning the benefit of the doubt, right? And then there's the Eagles, you know, the Eagles had the audacity not only to beat him, but to strip sack him and leave him bereft on the turf. <laughs> yes, uh, bereft on the turf, the the metaphorical nutsack kick heard around the world, which brought me so much joy and sustained us to this very day. Um, I, I think Brady is amazing. Let me just say that. He, he, he threw for over 5,000 yards this year, if I remember correctly. Um, anyone who says that, you know, he was slowing down really has no argument there. I mean, um, but I do think that after he beat the Eagles in that divisional round, a part of him kind of sighed a, brief, a breath of relief. Yeah, he, he, he put a demon to rest and he almost came back and, and beat, the, beat the Rams. You know, I mean, that I mean, and, and you can't really deny that he's a great quarterback. I mean, I'm, I'm a hater a little bit, but, you know, for as much as I, I, I think that someone like Peyton Manning or Aaron Rodgers or, um, or even Mahomes now had better tools than and Brady. I mean, he's played in the league for 22 years. Right. And, you know, he, he's always sort of rose to the occasion even when he was in New England and the only weapon he had was, you know, the the rotting husk of Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> so and I think it, it sort of it sort of bore out, you know. I mean, when he lost the weapons in New England, there was only so much that he could do. Like it looked like he was going to go out sad against the Titans. And I remember watching that game. That was a, a great game. Um just for, you know, watching a team hit another team in the mouth. Um, Derrick Henry had like, I don't know how many yards. Oh, yeah. And uh, then he went to Tampa and it was like, you know, you can't say any quarterback could go into that Tampa offense and thrive, right? Because Jameis Winston was in that offense and he just, you know, didn't get the job done for whatever reason. And Brady did. Yeah. I, I think um, you hit it, you hit the nail on the head. Um, from, you know, from one quarterback to the next, the team 
totally just transformed overnight. Um, you saw the talent they had before, but um, you know, when Brady arrived, it seemed like they not only played better, but they had a confidence, like a championship level of confidence. And, um, you know, for Brady to just, you know, sticking on the topic of his legacy, for, for him to perform at the level uh, that he uh, that he just kind of made uh, commonplace, <laughs> the, the elite level that he's lulled us into uh, you know, complacency, uh, to do that with two teams uh, in separate conferences and win Super Bowls in both conferences, just remarkable. Um, I, I honestly, was, yeah, yeah. The funny thing was, like, in all nine of his Super Bowls with the uh, with the Patriots, they're all one score games. And like, with the exception of that second Rams Super Bowl, where you know that that offense wasn't moving any anything, you know, like you could argue that the results of the games could have gone either way. You know, win or lose, you know. And then he gets to Tampa. They they um, make the Super Bowl and they win by like three scores. <laughs> yeah, and it's like he waited to the last the last Super Bowl he had to like play in a game where it wasn't like luck or the other team screwed up. You know, or the other team pulled a play out of its ass to beat him. It was like the the result was never in doubt. Yeah, it's just well, amazing how lucky he's been. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of surrounding cast. It's a little bit of talent. A lot of talent. Um, yeah, it's not much more can be said. Although I'm sure much will be written and said about his career. Uh, it I I go back and forth between wishing. My future kids could see Brady play in a, in a live game um, versus wanting to shelter them from the pain that is having to root against him. Um, ultimately, I think I, I, I'm just glad that he's gone, man. I mean, I'm, I, I admire him and respect him for his, his talents. He's thoroughly talented, but man, we've got to move on. We've got to, we've got to go on to a new era. Um, yeah, and hopefully that error is Jalen Hurts. I hope so, my friend. I hope so. It's, uh, before we uh, sort of uh, get off, the, I, 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 you know, something big. We're recording on Tuesday, and, and something really big broke today. And I kind of wanted to talk about the Eagles a little bit, but I think this is more important. Um, you know, Brian Flores, uh, former coach of the Miami Dolphins, is. is uh, filing a suit against the league and, and against the Giants, Dolphins, and, and Broncos in particular. Um, you know, we've seen this before with uh, other players, but, I mean, uh, Flores uh, raises a lot of good points. I don't think anybody can deny that. Um, what do you think the sort of end game of this is going to be? Oh, I think it's going to be a massive you-know-what show. I think it's the start of a massive uh, – news story, um, PR nightmare for the NFL. I think this is not going to go away overnight. Um, and Flores, you know, I, I think Flores knows this. Um, he said something that really resonated with me, really kind of struck me today. And that was, 
uh, in short, he said, I'm, I don't remember his exact words, but he said, basically, I know that I could be risking my coaching career, the career that I love, uh, to make the point that I'm about to make. Um, meaning, you know, he may never get a coaching job again if he pursues this lawsuit. So, yeah, this is the beginning of something fascinating and, um, you know, extremely emotionally charged for a lot of people. I think this is going to um, lead, hopefully lead to some change. Um, and I just want to, I, I have to call attention to some of the very premature responses I've seen on Twitter from the NFL itself and um, <laughs> one horse tooth jackass, John Elway. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, he, he had, he does have wonderful veneers. Uh, but I, I do think as, as my parents used to say, a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. So if you don't, you know, if you immediately deny that there's merit to Mr. Flores's claims before you've clearly had a chance to investigate the veracity of his claims, then really that just shows that you're not, uh, you've made up your mind before you've even uh, investigated, right? So yeah, um, I think this is going to really expose a lot of issues and, and hopefully lead to lead to some change. The big thing is that it's going to uh, expose how poorly the NFL sort of gets diversity from, I don't even know how many percentages are of the black people in the league. It's overwhelming. And yet like there's no like black position coaches and they don't, that those black position coaches don't get to become black coordinators. Right. And that's where the problem is. Like there's no churn. So you get a guy like Lethwich or, um, you know, Leslie Frazier, Raheem Morris, and they're rare because it just doesn't happen. And you get a guy like Deuce Staley, you know, who maybe should have gotten a chance here. And it's hard to argue with results. You know, Sirianni had a pretty good for, uh, first year here. But I mean, you know, what about Deuce Staley? He's part of a really good coaching staff in Detroit. Yeah, yeah, there there are exceptions to the to the rule that um, that people will cite. You know, I, I think I'm just waiting for the Giants to come out and say, you know, we didn't do anything wrong because did you know that we interviewed Leslie Frazier? Um, <laughs> th- let's be honest. Like the point here is not that they. Um, you know, it's, it's all fair and good that you went through the exercise of, or the charade maybe of interviewing Frazier, Patrick Graham, Brian Flores. But at the end of the day, you hired the same generic can of chunky ragu as uh, Joe judge. I mean, Brian Dable is a very good coach, but he came out in his first press conference and sounded an awful lot like Joe judge. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's clearly an archetype that they are looking for. Um, and so, you know, I, th- I think it's just important to be open-minded um, instead of looking for exceptions. And, you know, if you're a fan um, just, you know, saying, well, look at Mike Tomlin, he's had a long career. Look at this coach or that coach. 
you know, just be open-minded that there are some coaches who just don't get a fair shot um, for whatever reason. Maybe it's not even just race. Maybe there's, you know, there's all kinds of reasons that a big boys club can uh, band together and uh, not give um, uh, different candidates a fair shake. But um, I think, you know, hopefully we learn more. And, and again, I'm, I'm hopeful that, you know, that we'll see some change because I see a lot of players. That's the other thing. I see a lot of players on Twitter um, chiming in, you know, um, just sticking with the Eagles. I see Darius Slay, um, you know, um, supporting Jim Caldwell. That's another name. Um, The Bears probably should have hired him. Yeah, yeah. Um, And actually, the guy they hired, Eberflaus, um, (laughs) didn't didn't he quote Joe Judge in his intro press conference? I'm pretty sure he did. Um, I I didn't. I didn't. I think the only uh, press conference I paid attention to tangentially was, was Dable's, but... Yeah, I mean, he he literally stole a line, and and you know, I'll look this up later just to just to corroborate what I'm saying. But you know, he stole a line from uh, Joe Judge's intro press conference from you know from uh, being hired as the Giants head coach. So uh, yeah, yeah, major weird vibes there. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we sign off, uh, where can we find you on Twitter uh, on the internet? any kind of projects you have free reign sell yourself <laughs> well um my twitter handle is uh, at jerry joke man um proceed with caution because sometimes <laughs> you know i tend to make um very uh silly jokes i have a very eccentric sense of humor but the real horny hours real horny hours i am the self-appointed um you know, leading member, founding member of the Real Horny Hours Board of Trustees. Um, but bottom line is, you know, I just love to make people laugh. It's, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I have a regular day job, but um, my favorite thing in life is to make people laugh. And sometimes I go a little overboard, I, I do admit, and, I, and I'm very open about that. But, um, you know, f- give me a follow if, if you like to laugh, if you like to talk about various issues in sports or outside of sports. I know a little bit about medicine. Um, that's all I'll say, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, um, but um, yeah, a couple other good follows for, for football. I would say the honest NFL is one of my favorite um, football follows. Um, yeah, I've seen them around there. Every time you retweet them, I, I, I enjoy it. They make good points. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have to give him credit for some of the, um, you know, some of the stances and um, opinions that I've formed about um, the draft and, you know, some of the topics we talked about with the NFL. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I just like to have fun. So, you know, this is, this is a fun format for me, this, this audio, because, uh, you know, as they say, light travels faster than sound. So uh, for my ape-like phenotype, uh, <laughs> this is the perfect format. You don't have to see my face. But bottom line, don't take life too seriously, okay, friends? Always take it with a grain of salt and lime and tequila. Couldn't I couldn't agree more. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at T. Holzerman. 
Uh, you can find me on Instagram, same handle, but I rarely use that anymore. Uh, you can find me on Facebook by prefer you didn't. Um, and you can find me at my newsletter, which if you haven't found me this podcast through the newsletter, go to tholzerman.substack.com. It is three posts a week in your inbox of all kinds of topics. This week I wrote about the uh, the Rams and Bengals, and then I wrote about Wednesday, I wrote about Pokemon Legends Arceus. Um, I've written about food. I write about Star Wars. I write about everything. So um, hit that sub button. And if uh, you like it, you don't have to. If you like it, you know, buy me a coffee on Ko-Fi. That's <laughs> totally optional. It's up to you. But uh, if you if you do, I will appreciate it. Um, that's it for this week. Until next time, thanks for listening and always keep it a buck.